This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. So, before we get started here, just a few quick announcements. First, my Patreon is now live. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for just $5 a month or even $1 a month, you will get a separate patrons only podcast called The House of Heretics, in which Justin and I have unedited conversations about faith and doubt and life and anything that strikes our fancy. You will also receive rambling thoughts from me. You will also have direct access to me as a creator. So uh, if you want to talk to me, if you want to message me, I'd love to hear from you. And one of the best ways to do that is to support me on Patreon. Patrons really do get first access to me as a creator. So two, my dear friend Matt Langston, the king of the unicorns himself, has a new album out. His band, Eleventy-Seven, has just released the Rad Science B-Sides. It's a fantastic album, and instead of my regular outro music from the Jelly Rocks, I'm going to be playing music from the new album. You can find all music by Eleventy-Seven wherever you listen to music, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you get music. All right. Well, so today I am talking to Blake Chastain, the host of the podcast Exvangelical. If you find yourself really struggling with your evangelical upbringing, I think this will be a helpful conversation for you. Blake is wonderfully insightful and gentle and thoughtful and offers just a lot of insight into this weird journey that so many of us are on of traveling out of evangelicalism, and maybe we hold on to our faith, maybe we don't, but no matter what, we are all carrying this burden of the faith that we were given as children, and what the hell do we do with it? So Blake offers a lot of great insights into this journey. I found it a helpful conversation, and I hope you do as well. And with that, I am delighted to give you my conversation with Blake Chastain. So I'm here with Blake Chastain from the Exvangelical Podcast. Thank you, Blake, so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are the host of a pretty popular podcast called Exvangelical. Uh, and before we get started, I'm wondering if you could just tell me and my audience some of what that podcast is about. Sure, yeah. Um, so the podcast started, I, I released the first episode, which was like a small teaser episode, um, the first week of the week of the Republican National Convention in 2016. So it's only been around a couple of years. That was July 2016. Uh, and the show basically covers people's stories. And it's a very narrative driven show. It generally follows like a three-act structure, sort of getting a sense of someone's initial early childhood, their background, uh, their religious background in particular. And then sort of the second act is their development and, and what sort of led them to either um, sort of reckon with ev evangelicalism and either be forced out or have to leave for another reason or a mix of those things. And then sort of where they are now, uh, depending upon the person, uh, if they have some sort of public facing project, then of course we'll talk about that too. But generally the show is just about letting people tell their stories and discovering the sort of nuance that goes into the very personal reasons why people leave the faith or change their faith drastically. Like I experienced that myself and I saw my friends do it too. Like um, I went to a Christian college, you know, and we, we all stayed connected through Facebook and other means. And we all sort of went through this not all, but many of us went through this significant change since those years. And that to me was really fascinating in it. And in, in a lot of ways, it's been sort of this cathartic experiment and, and project to do. That's awesome. So tell me some about your story, because I kind of get the feeling that we're kind of 
kindred spirits that we come <laughs> from similar backgrounds. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, if you could share some of your story, sure. Yeah, and a lot. Most of my show, I I do like, and I, I I try to you know center the the guest, so I don't always you know talk about my own sort of experiences. But f- for me, I grew up in small town Indiana, this small town called Crawfordsville. And I lived there until I was a freshman in high school, 14 or so, and then moved to the suburbs of Chicago. During that time, you know, being in a small town, it was pretty, you know, homogenous in regards to racial and economic sort of background and that sort of thing. And we, my family went to a, a United Methodist church in town. And for whatever reason, I was always like, a, I was prone to religion. Uh, I don't know what that what the causes were i have a version of a small version of epilepsy and there is some indication that some epileptic people are prone to religiosity Mm, that's fascinating i want to put a flag in that as something to return to because i'm the same way no matter how non-theistic or atheistic i become i still consider myself a deeply religious person no matter what and so i that's something i would love to return to yeah yeah let's come back to that because that is that is something that i sort of i resonate with and that, that has sort of stayed with me even as my underlying beliefs have changed mm. so uh so yeah we went to this uh united methodist church it was interesting because i was like the first couple pastors i remember were women so like some people that come from more conservative evangelical circles don't have that experience uh, but for me that that was never a question and that ended up like causing a lot of like head scratching for me later on um, when i ran into the more conservative parts of evangelicalism later on and i'm sure there are some people who think that like um isn't even necessarily evangelical the interesting thing though with that denomination of being so large and being so sort of geographically pervasive is that it takes on a lot of local flavor mm. so you know a small town you know methodist church is going to be very different than one you find here in the center of chicago and there's a lot of breadth of diversity of belief and practice within that sort of particular tradition but without getting too wonky into church history and things like that eventually like you know i had very sort of positive early experiences in religious settings i was fascinated with the stories of the bible those sorts of things once i got into high school I continued to be sort of enamored. I went through this period, and I think one of the things that sort of accelerated that interest in religion was I went through this period where, because of that epilepsy, I went on to all like a lot of this medication, and it like it was right in middle school, and I, I lost all my coordination. I saw double vision all the time. Like I couldn't play sports. I couldn't do some of the things I did before. So I became really bookish, <laughs> basically. Right. And one of the things I got really interested in was my faith. And then once we moved to the Chicago suburbs. I moved at the end of freshman year, didn't really know anyone. And the place where I really hit off with people the following year, sophomore year, was at a youth group. And that's where I really got really deep into youth group culture in the 90s. Very good. Um, Yeah. So worked in a Christian bookstore, you know, was at church like five days a week, was on the youth worship team, you know, was, you know, one of those like sort of poster child youth leader type kids so you were all in you were 100 percent in oh yeah yeah if, yeah. if it and was like, a cult if it was jonestown <laughs> you would have gladly drunk the kool-aid it's okay i would have too <laughs> yeah yeah so it's uh so that was sort of the experience and and you know we i had a really tight group of friends and you know it was a very dramatic group of friends and you know even those that i'm still in contact with now would would own up to that <laughs> you know but on top of that you add in like a whole bunch of weird religious stuff and purity culture and like all this other stuff that we like inflicted upon on one another <laughs> you know oh my and eventually goodness. in that time you know i felt like a call to ministry and that led me to choose to go to indiana wesleyan uh, and that's where i had a huge huge faith crisis was while i was there mm, tell me about that well when i was at my freshman year the very first full week of school was when 9-11 happened um and that i think I, I, I can't even postulate as to what the experience would have been without that. I was, was in the history department, and they were really into double majors. So I was a history major and a biblical literature major. So I spent a lot of time in the history department, which was very politically and theologically conservative and very, very forceful. There was one particular professor who was extremely forceful in trying to teach what he called the biblical Christian worldview, which was very, very problematic in lots of ways. Um, mm. And... 
as I was studying about Jesus and about church history in my other courses, I was becoming like more increasingly pacifist. Uh, but then I had these very hawkish sort of things being pushed on me in these other courses. Could you give some examples of that? There was a very clear, I mean, a lot of these courses were, were like early, you know, up till the Civil War sort of courses. That was sort of the, the bailiwick of this particular professor, but he would, you know, uh, extemporaneously talk about current society and and things going on. Um, but generally, you know, it was all about senses of, like, either manifest destiny or, you know, American exceptionalism. Right. Um, Clash of and, civilizations. and Yeah. Yeah. We, we read some, like, some of the books that were assigned were ones like The Light and the Glory, which is this... Yes. Just a, a Christian nationalist alternative history of America. And yeah, I mean, and there were things, you know, things like uh, Beware Red China. <laughs> right, <laughs> and like, right. And so like, so when did it all fall apart? It, it was sort of like this, like my sophomore year, I started my first couple courses in Greek. I was in, in the midst of these other courses where... I was disagreeing with the sort of social policy that they were trying to teach. And I was, I'd also signed on to be like a floor chaplain for my dorm. And so amidst all that, like when I was taking Greek, I was basically learning about how the Bible was not inerrant. And I didn't even like consciously assume that that was the case. Sorry, you heard my dog here. It's okay. Um, it's indie uh, podcasting. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I I didn't even assume that I believed that the Bible was necessarily inerrant, but there it was. Like, is this like underlying belief? And then starting to learn about how the New Testament canon was formed and all of the levels of interpretation that are available with it just in, in engaging the text, mm. it just like threw me into this tailspin. And then on top of that, because I was a floor chaplain, I it was the one year that I didn't break any of the legalistic rules about, you know, like no watching rated R movies and no, like all these different very legalistic rules that they had for student behavior. And I didn't believe any of it. And I knew I didn't believe it. And I thought, you know, these things are antithetical to developing people into mature adults. But, you know, here we are. I'm supposed to be an example. So I'm going to suck it up. But like, I was, you know, supposed to do devotionals or whatever every week, and I did it for, like, a couple of weeks that year, mm -hmm. and then I just couldn't do it. In my mind, I was like, no, I'm just going to be relational. You know, I'm just going to be relational. I'm just going to play video games with these guys and minister to them that way, you know? Video game <laughs> video game ministry. That's right. Smash Brothers. I will destroy you with Falcon and Smash Brothers, <laughs> and that will be my ministry to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll destroy you with Kirby. <laughs> I, I was never good at Kirby. I, I was had awesome at at Kirby. I was a pro at Kirby, especially when Kirby turned into a block and would like decimate all the people. Oh yeah. All. Anyway, I, I had a my roommate was really good at Jigglypuff, which was infuriating because if you're <laughs> because if you're really good at Jigglypuff, you can launch people right away. You can just destroy was, everyone. Yeah, it was awful. So <laughs> so your deconstruction, your disintegration of faith really started with the bible uh yeah in a lot of ways and then like the other some other aspects that i i haven't really met like i had idealized the idea of like christian colleges being this sort of utopia where like oh, we're all just going to be you know striving after christ and like the fact that it was just you know yeah, extended no. high school was just just the fucking worst yeah no <laughs> I, you know i i went to a christian high school or i i went to a christian high school and then and i dropped out of that christian high school finally graduated went into youth with a mission which was a whole clusterfuck that you know oh, I yeah. which i won't get into <laughs> right now but i have talked about that on the show and and mm -hmm. then I went to a small Christian college, incidentally, the same Christian college that Matt Langston taught at and was kicked out of for supporting mm -hmm. gay people. So mm -hmm. I can't remember a lonelier time in my life than when I went to that college. Yeah. You know, I can't remember a, a darker, more lonely time, I think, because it was all expectation and no substance. Oh, yeah. It was oh. all it was all expectation on everyone's part and everyone had this need to to present to project this sense of communal brotherhood and sisterhood when the right. reality was there was a lot of backstabbing and darkness and loneliness and disappointment and struggle that no one was willing to address 
you know, in my situation, I, I had just been through a shooting when I was in Youth with a Mission. I was in oh the Ar- I was in the Arvada shooting in 2007. And then I went from that to this small Christian school. Plus, I was in the closet, and I came out when I was at that Christian school. Oh my gosh! Nothing. Crickets. Dead silence. Just total abandonment. Mm. When when I need when I and many other people there needed warm loving presence and you i yeah i totally hear you there is that really painful wake up to the reality that christian fellowship is not what they say it is most often yeah yeah and especially when you're i mean i don't know like when you give everything the gloss of church then it it all becomes equally cheap you know it's Mm. so yes so like, you know, if you're expected to act all, if, if you're expected to, I don't know, like, of course, of course people are going to be assholes in line at the coffee shop, you know, because people get impatient. Because people are people. Because people are people. But like, if you, if everybody has this expectation in their head that, or, you know, maybe not everybody, but the, you know, the idealists in the room you mm. know, have it in their head that, that like, this is supposed to be a different place. You know, this is supposed to be one of those city on a hills, you know, and this is supposed to be somewhere different. And for it to be the same or or worse is just really upsetting. And yeah, it can be really lonely because it's not the sort of place where, where you can work out your doubts. You know, it should, it should be a place where you, uh, but like, I mean, I would wander, like there was a prayer chapel on campus and they had like, you know, this beautiful sculpture of Jesus in Gethsemane in agonizing prayer. And, you know, I spent too much time in that chapel because, you know, who was I going to reach out to? I had friends that literally prayed for me because I had voted for John Kerry. Like, you know, <laughs> because, because I wasn't, you know, because I wasn't a Republican. <laughs> like, yeah, I totally, <laughs> I totally understand. Yeah. And, you know, of the people that I've met who are going through this weird journey, and it's the theme that I return to in just about every single episode of this show, that so many of us are going through this weird in-between place where we are traumatized by our background, we appreciate our background, we love our faith, we hate our faith, we struggle to reconcile ancient faith to modern science and modern justice. But along this journey, talking to a lot of these people, a lot of the most damaged people that I've ever met, and I would include myself in this, you know, some of the most just brutalized people that I've ever met have been people from the most intense intense evangelical and or charismatic settings where it's like everything was bottled down it's like humanity was so anesthetized it was so pushed down forbidden that finally it's like there's this shattering eruption for people and and that process of rediscovering their humanity is hard and it's brutal and it destroys oh, yeah. their faith. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, just fast forwarding to now, the Facebook group um, associated with the podcast has three thousand members in it. And like, there are people at all different points in that process, you know. And that is something that 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 can be seen is some people the amount of actual true life giving liberation that some of these people experience once they leave, even if they lose their faith, like. Yes. To me, any God worth its salt would would respect that. (laughs) I agree. And (laughs) yes, I I totally agree. And, you know, one of my guiding quotes, despite the fact that it came from a racist slave owner, is from Thomas Jefferson, where he said in one of his letters, doubt with boldness even the existence of God, for if there be one, he must more surely approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. And Mm -hmm. I have to believe that that's true. Right. Yeah, the alternative is cruelty. <laughs> the alternative is cruelty, and the alternative is is ultimately a lack of integrity. Mm-hmm. Here's something that I'm wondering, talking to you. So you've talked to a lot of people in this process of deconverting or mm-hmm. transformation of their faith. In any case, moving away from their evangelical background. What are some of the common themes that you see among these people? Like, what are the things that come up again and again in conversations? Yeah, 
Yeah, there are several. One of them, people of a certain age, like people among our sort of age cohort, I think I'm a little older than you, but basically anyone from, you know, the 90s to basically now is purity culture. Purity culture is one of the things that is most prevalent and just also most sort of damaging, especially for women, just because even within purity culture, and purity culture can weigh heavily on a straight man. It does not touch the the sort of guilt that can be placed upon a woman. Absolutely. Women are the primary victims of purity culture. Absolutely. And I mean, LGBTQ people uh, are entirely erased from the equation, yes, um, which is also criminal and cruel. And so purity culture and questions and things regarding sexuality and human sexuality and the wide diversity that exists therein it has been a major, a major thing. And just because, you know, the very forbidden nature of it, you know, it's only allowed in this very small select thing and you're either pure as driven snow or you're just totally worthless and there's no in between and there's no, and even though grace might be offered, it's a cheap and insulting grace, you know? Could you share some of the things that were told to you in purity culture, what were some of the lessons that you and others you've talked to internalized? Of course, there was there were things like uh, like the Joshua Harris books, um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, right? Uh, all those all those things. There was also another uh, series of books called Every Every Man's Battle and Every Young Man's Battle. Oh, <laughs> I yes, I. A funny story. So when I was in youth group, we were given like that kind of curriculum, you know, of how to conquer lust, how to overcome lust towards women and all of that. And I just thought I was really holy because I didn't have any lust towards women. (laughs) I was like, I'm just really on top of this. Yeah. No, I'm queer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's, you know, and that's like, that is a message that that I have heard other people say. I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure that Kevin Garcia mentioned that when I talked to him. First of all, in that book, the very first one, um, every every man's battle, which came first, which is just about like married. It's like addressed to married guys. The author like sort of has this weird audacity to talk about how much he slept around before he was a Christian, and like it's really weird. It's really weird to frame everything that way, and also because like your readers are going to live vicariously through that, like. <laughs> and so yeah that's uh, a, that's a theme in a lot of this stuff actually that that's a theme in a lot of evangelical culture is other people living vicariously through your testimony story right <laughs> yes <laughs> yes so the so so that was part of it and then like that it talked about the first look is uncontrollable but then if you look a second time then you have to bounce your eyes and like basically the way in it the way in which it it's it can inculcate this this sense that you are a danger like you're literally just a like sort of a danger to to women it deprioritizes like any sense of sort of consent from a woman or from another partner that is yes. one thing that that uh, that that women who are critics of purity culture speak much more eloquently about than i than i can um because that's much much more part of their lived experience. Emily Joy, I talked to her. She had someone chastise her for giving them cookies, you know, like because the man was supposed to make the move or whatever. Jesus like, Christ. She made you cookies because she's a nice person, you asshole. Like, like, so, any, so yeah, so purity culture is definitely one of those things. Biblical literalism is another. Politics, yeah. There's there's a lot there are lots of those things. I, I I went on a big riff about purity culture, but we could definitely cover some of those other things too. No, that's good. What are some of the other items that you've heard from people you've talked to as as the key things that drive them away from evangelicalism? Some of the other things do involve, you know, very specific sorts of traumas that can happen in church environments. For a lot of women, it's a, it's a matter of their own calls, their own gifts being questioned just because they are women, which strictly complementarian sorts of places are really damaging to uh, a girl or a woman's self-esteem and sense of worth. To do that within the context of, you know, God talk, you're actually going to 
you you have the again the audacity to like tell someone that they're they're not gifted enough to be a teacher just because the way they were born that's just yeah where's the logic in that like i understand first timothy but shut up like but shut, but <laughs> shut the fuck up shut <laughs> yeah. the fuck up first timothy yeah so and uh, you can y- quote me sacred tension <laughs> says earlier you mentioned at the top of the show you mentioned that you are a deeply religious person or that you saw yourself as a deeply religious person, that you feel very drawn to religion. I'm wondering if you could unpack that a bit more because kind of coming, you know, where I'm coming from is I often describe it as I've been bit by the religion superbug or I've been bit (laughs) by the faith superbug. And it's like, no matter all the, no matter how many antibiotics I throw at it, no matter how many books by by new atheist douchebags I throw at it, (laughs) I can't, beat it. I can't get rid of it. No matter how much I read and learn and know, I can't get rid of this religious part of myself. And I've just kind of resigned myself to the fact that I am a very religious doubter. I'm a very religious skeptic and non-theist. And I'm, a you know, I call myself a Christian, though many people would not, and I'm totally okay with that. I would probably be more in the category of like post-Christian, which is fine. But I'm also a member of the Satanic Temple. I'm a, you know, I'm a big meditator. I'm a yoga teacher and meditation teacher. And, and so this stuff is infused in my life. And I see myself as a deeply religious person. And I don't know if that will ever go away. And so I'm wondering, A, do you still consider yourself a Christian after all that you've seen, after seeing how the sausage is made in Christianity, and af- after seeing all the darkness and ugliness, are you still a Christian? And if so, what does that look like and what does it mean to you to be a religious person sure yeah that's that's a very good question and i will probably take five or ten minutes to answer it that's fantastic (laughs) knock yourself out (laughs) so one sort of thing just to like backtrack i after you know after christian college i i was disillusioned for a while i wasn't i was sort of afloat i ended up taking i ended up working full-time and and taking Uh, graduate school classes part-time in this sort of open-ended program and through this sort of happenstance i take a class on energy and the environment i learn about some things relative to environmentalism and then another sort of happenstance and i like discover wendell berry who's this just amazing author absolutely prophetic yes he's wonderful that at that point sort of rekindled and it that to me felt like this first initial attempt to like sort of almost redeem my faith um and so like i got into this area of theology called creation care theology um which is all about basically understanding the biblical narratives and other christian traditions from a more ecologically informed point of view and just uh, being this more general like life affirming sort of way of life which like that was the thing that you know it didn't feel like you know christianity is supposed to be the life abundant and it wasn't in evangelicalism and it's not it's just not that's not what evangelicalism is and so so i got in i I got into this i started reading a lot and then i we ended up (laughs) like happening like through sort of people that we knew and getting to know people we ended up going to a much more conservative fundamentalist sort of church for a long time and it was we got very entrenched in the community there but we were like i was always more liberal than the than the pastors and that sort of thing and eventually once we had our daughter we sort of came to a crossroads and we had to tell them like we we're we're egalitarian we're not complementary and that's why we never officially joined this church i have to tell you this we tried to work it out with the pastors um but eventually we had to leave and that is the cliff notes version of that what but i mean we lost our support group overnight when we left which was really hard interestingly Throughout all of this, throughout all these different things, you know, this is about a 10-year period, I'm still engaging with religious texts, you know, whether it's the Bible, like, (laughs) I've been joking on Twitter that I, you know, I took a brief 10-year break from reading the Bible, you know, like, (laughs) uh, because, like, I needed that time away. But I still, like, read theology, I still read things that were big ideas, philosophy, took a class on Eastern religion, I took a class on, like, 
the history of environmental thought, which had a lot of philosophy in it, you know. And now, over the last year, we've been attending an Episcopal church, which has been this weird sort of thing that I never expected. Um, <laughs> I have too, yeah. <laughs> it's like something about the liturgy, something about the actual, this particular congregation and this particular rector that spoke to like me and, and my wife and my, my family. I am very sort of similar. Like there is something that still sort of resonates within me, but I'm not the dogmatic person I was, you know, I'm, you know, if I was going to be really, really annoyingly pedantic about it, I would say, you know, I'm agnostic in that, like, I can't say anything for certain. I'd say I'm universalist because I don't believe in hell. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying, I'd say I'm Buddhist because I appreciate the sort of mental practices that that enables when I do them. I would include Episcopalian. (laughs) I would check every single box right there with you. (laughs) And so, yeah. So, yeah, we are kindred spirits. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, I would also include probably panentheistic because I think there's something um, divine in, in all things. I have very slowly been sort of engaging like the theology of Paul Tillich, who has this really wonderful, to me, this thing that resonates to me, in which he, he calls, like, he refers to God as the ground of being, which... Yes, which is stunning. Yeah, and to me, that's like, okay, I can, you know, regardless of of how my particular beliefs about particular doctrines might change over time, I can handle that. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Like I, that to me is that to me is resonant and like the other thing, the other piece of wisdom that I've latched onto over the last year was actually from Thich Nhat Hanh in a book Living Buddha Living Christ, um in which he talks about how it's not your beliefs that really define you. It, it's not your your beliefs are meant to change. They should change over time. It's your practices that define you. So to me, it's so much of what evangelicalism has always been about has been about, you know, the right belief, you know, that ortho- orthodoxy, you know, um, and they, they have it wrong to begin with. Like, just historically, it's, it's all off. <laughs> but yeah. what sort of practices can I engender exactly. to to make myself a better person each day, to see the good in people, to exhibit the fruits of the spirit, you know? <laughs> you know, one of I, one of the things that I love so deeply about liturgy is just that. It's like I can show up, I can engage in this beautiful liturgy, or I can pray the daily office. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fucking matter if I believe it or not. Minus, <laughs> That's right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. And catch me on a different day and I'll say something different. Because faith is fluid. And because life itself is flexible and fluid, and that's the way it should be. Right. What matters is the practice. And I think that is some of the great wisdom of a lot of the older high church traditions that evangelicalism has lost. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. It isn't, to me, it isn't about what I believe. It It isn't. It's about what I practice. I can pray these prayers and mean them. I can... Uh, say these words, I can do the gestures, I can, and you know what what evangelicals often call empty worship or empty religion, I am a huge fan of. I am the the biggest fan of empty religion. And, you know, one of my friends lately was really pushing me on this. And she said, you know, C.S. Lewis said, when you take the supernatural out of Christianity, what you're left with is religion. First of all, I don't think C.S. Lewis actually said that. I think that (laughs) that's a misquote. But I was like, I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's awesome. Because if my my religion depends on how strong my faith is on a given day. I'm fucked. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're only supposed to need this much anyways. You're only supposed to need yeah. uh, the mustard seed. You know. Yeah. The kind of faith that I can get behind is the faith defined in Hebrews. Faith is the essence of things hoped for. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can get behind that. I can hope for a lot. I can hope that there is a personal divine, that there is a divine presence that is personal and engaged. I can hope for that. Even though that seems impossible to me, I can still hope. And if right. that counts as faith, then I've got it. I can, I'm yeah. down with that kind of faith. I'm totally tracking with you. And I think the other my sort of response to those sorts of things now is like, okay, even 
if there is no God. This place is still really wonderful. Exactly. And the myth, and the myth is still wonderful. The myth and the art are still wonderful. Anyway, go on. Yeah, and so I, I grew up outside of a town. I could, you know, I could see the stars at night, you know, and like, I feel like that sense of reverence is the sort of, what is ultimately sort of like the bedrock of my, you know, higher reasoning of about religion, you know, but to me, it's to me, that's still like, take away everything else. If you just read Harari's book, Sapiens, which is just this amazing recounting of human evolution, like, that alone is amazing. <laughs> you it's know? a work of religion. Yeah, it, it can be seen that way. And so, to me, I'm okay with not being that type of certain person anymore. Me too. I would much rather be someone that's less certain, but more loving. or and, know, more, and more honest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. It, it equips you to be a more a fuller human i honestly think that's you know even if you looked at the evolution of something like the biblical narrative like it's not a static thing you know it's the story of a whole a whole civilization reckoning with the idea of god for 1500 years <laughs> you know like yeah even there there's the changes there it's it's just a hum, it's human nature exactly and i'm okay with my religion just being one of many and it mm-hmm. not having to be absolute truth. This is this is the tradition that was instilled into me. And right. I can either fight against that and resist it and walk away from it, which for me, which I know works for many people. But for me, that is too much devastation and energy. Yeah. And I find it much better to just take this vehicle that I've been given and turn it into something new. Right. Because I couldn't even walk away from my tradition even if i tried it's so much a part of me right and and so in that way it i think in that way i am a christian uh it's it's in my blood it's the my formative language and i can't walk away from it even if i tried you know one of the things that has been really helpful for me in this is david dark who i don't know if you're familiar with he was my second interview for this show but he wrote a fantastic book called life's too short to pretend you're not religious Mm. and i've heard of it but i haven't read it yet. oh it's great and the basic thesis is people lining up at an apple store is no more or no less religious than the call to worship at a Mm -hmm. at a at a mosque that religion has to do with our binding stories what are the stories that we tell about ourselves and the world what are the overarching narratives that guide our lives and we get to choose that narrative we have to be mindful of that narrative and choose that narrative because maybe our religion is bad (laughs) and and whatever our binding narrative is that's our religion right and you know i know that there are a lot of people who would object to that kind of enormously broad definition of religion but i personally find it very helpful Mm -hmm. in in understanding my own experience of faith yeah and i i i agree agree with you there like i i think one of again like wendell berry had had a very similar argument in one of the essays that sort of rocked my world and it's this essay called christianity and the survival of creation and he basically says you know like this is the religion that we as a society in this period at least in this period time of history this was our sort of our our binding agent was this religion you know we can be bound to a lesser version of it if we don't engage it um but it might not be as either fulfilling or motivating um and that was his argument and it was in the midst of an essay about arguing for caring for the earth you know so that was the context. But I do think that, that what you've also said there in regards to like personal autonomy, people get to choose the things that motivate them now. And I think that that is really anathema to evangelicalism. Absolutely. But it is central to, it is like a central tenet of ex-evangelical. It's also a central tenet of the Satanic Temple, by the <laughs> <Is> way. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a uh, it's a central tenet of the Satanic tradition. Okay, <laughs> just so you know, so you would make a great Satanist. 
All right. You're a fantastic Satanist and you didn't even know it. Man, awesome. (laughs) So, so, but that is one of the things that, you know, like it it has been hard for when, as the term exvangelical has sort of become more popularized over the last couple of years, like people don't, you you know, they don't like how nonspecific it is, I guess. To me, it's, to me, and that, like, I'm working on an essay so I can point to it and it's not just a Twitter thread you know, so I can actually point to it like on my, on my site and everything. But to me, what is binding about exvangelical as a term is that it acknowledges that prior relationship, just like in, you know, your ex-wife or your ex-boyfriend or whatever. It acknowledges past relationship that you have had with something that was significant. And in this sense, that is evangelicalism. Yes. Now that term, you know, just as other x sort of things don't define who you are now like just be just because you have an ex-boyfriend doesn't mean that defines who you are now in relation to that person it also doesn't define you in regards to your current belief um i do believe that to be you know if you are ex-evangelical that does include a repudiation of the things that evangelicalism condemns and actually like seeks to affirm those things but it doesn't mean that you have to do that as a progressive Christian. You know, I'm not, you know, I might attend a church, but I don't expect anyone else to. And I don't think anyone, any less of anyone else to. Absolutely. Because they, because if their trauma is so deep that they would be triggered, you know, or that they, that it would be too hurtful for them to step inside the doors of a church ever again in their lives, yes. then they need to do the thing that will allow them to flourish. Yeah. I'm 100% with you there. On that note of people being really, really wounded. So, you know, over the past hour, we've talked a lot about just the various harms that a lot of people experience at the hands of the evangelical church and why people leave. What have you seen in the process of recovery? What are the ways in which people heal? And for people who are wounded, for people who are struggling to to get through life because of the trauma and wounding that they've experienced, what would you say? The first thing I would say is you're not alone. That one of the most wonderful things has been just the degree to which other people been able to identify with the people that appear on my show, the people that are that uh, speak in, in the Facebook group. It's really powerful to know that you're not alone and that you are not like you're not alone. You're not crazy for thinking these things, for feeling restricted by your environment, whether that's your church or your your home, your school or all of it. You're not crazy. You're not alone. And one of the things that I would say is just give yourself space. Give yourself the actual sort of grace that had been talked about for a long time, but that you may not have actually really seen or felt. That is a really powerful thing to free yourself from the expectation of being perfect or of, you know, doubt. You know, those things are human and you need to let yourself be for a while. For me, that I, I don't really, you know, a lot of times I don't want to be too prescriptive in the way that I sort of talk to people. But the other thing and the other reason why I lean so much into conversation and why the podcast format is so good for these sorts of conversations is because it lets you go into the sorts of nuance that we've had over the last hour. Yes. And you get to hear someone else's voice. You get to know in a very sort of intimate way that you might not get if you're just reading a blog post or following someone on Twitter or whatever. So lean into your humanity, I guess, you know, and find people that will accept you. Find another place where you can start to feel safe again. Because for a lot of, for a lot of people, that, that is the thing. Like, they have been so on guard for so long that it's really, really hard to let that down, to let that go. And that's not, you know, again, not to be too prescriptive, you know, there are certain disclaimers. Like if you, some people of color have been harmed by evangelicalism's push towards being vulnerable, you know? So like for them, they might need more space than others, you know? Um, So things like that are, you know, trust yourself. That is like an odd thing. It's not something you're usually told in evangelicalism is to like trust yourself, you know? Some people have 
had verses like the heart is deceitful above all things weaponized against them so that they doubt their conscience they doubt their sense that they're being wronged that they're being hurt or abused and there is part of building up that autonomy again is to understand that you have a good sense of what you actually need so you're not alone give yourself space seek out other people if you if you want help or just company you know (laughs) and and let yourself be. Those are those are sort of my, my go-to things. Fantastic. To finish up here, what are three books that have inspired you or challenged you or that you've just loved uh, recently that you would like to share with my audience? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. I did really like Living Buddha, Living Christ, if you are interested in either of those two faith traditions. By Thich Nhat Hanh, right? That's right. Yeah. Very good short book. He's sort of been one of the main Buddhist sort of teachers I've read. But that book is very good in sort of giving this comparative study um, and has some really good insights into it. Some of his things I don't necessarily agree with, but overall, it's a very, very good book. Book two. Well, there's... I haven't... I read this a, a year or so ago, but I tore through... It's actually a series. It's a comic book series, and it's a long read. It's like 60 issues. Oh, fantastic. Um but it's called Transmetropolitan, um, and it's this sort of weird futurist story about uh, this gonzo journalist in the in the future called Spider Jerusalem, and he like takes down a sort of Trump esque sort of character. That sounds amazing. And there's just all sorts of bonkers ideas thrown at the wall. You know, he's got like a I don't know. It, he's he's one of my favorite authors, um, and he has all these crazy big sci-fi ideas. Who's the author? Um, uh, Warren Ellis. Okay, awesome. And what was the other book? Um, you're going to hear me click clack for a second. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll do my 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 last one. Will be the Sapiens book I mentioned before. Uh, I listened to that as an audiobook, and it was very very interesting. And yeah, it was just very engaging. And that is by Noah Yuval Harari. I think he's at like the University of Jerusalem or somewhere like that. Okay. In that area of the world. And he also has another book about the future of humanity called Homo Deus, um, which is also good. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, can I throw in a bonus one? Because I oh, just thought of it. Totally. Uh, so if you are going through some sort of like dark night of the soul type situation, I recommend The Idolatry of God by uh, Peter Rollins. Oh, very good. All right. Well, Blake, where can people find you if they want to get in touch or find more of your work? Uh, you can find the Exvangelical Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere else. I am on Twitter at BR Chastain, and the show is at Exvangelical Pod. I do mostly tweet from my personal account. You can also search for the Facebook group, um, which is very active. On Facebook, just search for Exvangelical. There's a few um, screening questions, but it's open to anyone. And exvangelicalpodcast.com is the website. Those are all the spots you can find me. Awesome. Blake, thank you so much. Thank you. Before we close here, a couple of quick announcements. My Patreon is now finally live, so you can now pay me in more than hugs and compliments, which are also <laughs> wonderful. I Don't get me wrong, I love that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for $5 a month. You will get an extra podcast a week. The House of Heretics podcast where Justin and I have long unedited ramblings about faith and doubt and religion and really anything that strikes our fancy. You can find all my work, my dozens of articles, and this podcast at sbradfordlong.com. If you want to respond to the show or talk to me about anything in particular, please uh, please send me a message. You can find me at Twitter at Stephen B. Long. You can find me on Facebook. You can email me. I am open to any form of communication. Also, so if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you are probably aware of my friend Matt Langston. He's a dear friend. He comes onto the show often and he is the front man of the band 117. Well, he has his own podcast called 11D Life in which he covers the life of the musician. He talks to a lot of other artists, producers, creators, figuring out how to uh, get through life 
as creators. He also occasionally covers the topic of faith and doubt. So if you enjoy this show, please go check out Eleventy Life. The music is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. And as usual, I will see you next week. Father, it's a